Hi, I'm James Crichton, and this is Actors on Process. Today is Monday, August 24th, 2020, and my guest today is Austin Scott. Austin was seen most recently on Broadway in Girl from the North Country, and, like many actors, is optimistic to return to the role of Joe Scott when Broadway eventually reopens. Girl from the North Country opened on Broadway on March 5th, 2020, and went into pause only a few days later. In this episode, he'll dig more into the shutdown, how he has been keeping busy, as well as some of his other credits, including playing Alexander Hamilton in both the national touring and Broadway companies of Hamilton, as well as his role on Pose. I do apologize, because this week's interview was recorded many months before last week's episode with Andrea Burns, and only listening back did I realize that I've now told the same story regarding the In the Heights Tony performance twice. So please bear with me. And I'll also ask you to bear with me as somewhere around the 30-minute mark, it seems like a lawnmower of some kind occasionally picks up on Austin's end. So in this time, when we're all missing theater so much, allow this episode to feel like an immersive experience and picture yourself in the Zoom call with me. Before we get into today's episode, I'm going to ask you to open Instagram. I'll wait. Okay, cool. Now that you're there, please type in at Actors on Process and click that big blue follow button. Help me grow my social media platform as I continue to spread the word about this podcast. And as always, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, without any further ado, here's Austin Scott. to you live from South Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I'm staying with my girlfriend Alexa and her, her family. They have a, a home out here. So uh, we've been out here since mid-March, I think like March 16th maybe. Um, so we, yeah, as soon as, as, soon as we, we came from New York, Manhattan, New York, and as soon as things were kind of starting to get a little sketchy there and just, you know, things were shutting down and Broadway had shut down and, you know, restaurants were, were closed, which is, you know, she has a job at a restaurant. We just thought, you know, let's just, her parents were super generous and offered to, you know, let us stay out here. And so we took them up on it and it's been, it's been really, really great. Um, you know, all things considered, I'm doing really well. I mean, we, like I said, we get to be at this big, beautiful, um, their big, beautiful house out here. They've got, you know, a lot of space around them so we can go out for, you know, socially distanced walks. Um, and they've got, you know, it's a lot of work to turn over the property after like after winter and so you know because they've got like a garden and you know they grow a lot of flowers and everything like that so i've been doing a lot of work like shoveling mulch and weeding and you know, basically just working with my hands which i think has been really good for me um and i've also been like you know i'm back in acting class um via zoom and so is alexa and you know her her family speaks spanish so i've been brushing up on my spanish and like you know trying to get more fluent and i've uh, been doing you know, press things for the show, and a lot of a lot of my artist friends have been coming together and you know working on really cool projects. So I've been staying really like active with that, and I've been teaching, and I've been 
just like, you know, just doing a lot. I feel like I, I am, I'm really, I'm really lucky to have the opportunities that I have, you know, during this, this crazy time. Yeah, I mean, completely. I mean, we could talk about it later when we get to the show, but like you guys, we were in a very similar boat with our shows. You had opened, I think, on the 5th? Yes. Yeah. And you reported the 9th. The reason I know all this is just because Jess Namey was in, I was doing Unknown Soldier at Playwrights with Jess Namey, and I know her husband, Ben, was in the show with you. Yes, so yes. You guys were living parallel. Yes. And so we opened our show on Monday the 9th, and then we had a day off, and then the next Wednesday was like our final show, but we did it like unknowingly. And yeah. it sort of was just this whirlwind that was like culminating in all this excitement and then it just sort of exploded. So it was it was crazy, right? Because I remember, yeah, we had all this excitement leading up to, you know, to the to the opening and, you know, we had our opening party and reviews and recording the cast album and everything. But at the same time there was this strange like countercurrent of just like fear and anxiety and like you know, it was very clear from like watching the news and watching other shows around the country, like something big was coming and things were just kind of, you know, starting to fall apart faster and faster. And so it was such a strange, like yeah. mixture of excitement and just like intense fear and anxiety and like uncertainty. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll always like remember that that last week is just being crazy. I, I'll never forget our last performance, which was basically just like half capacity. Yeah. And um people in masks and like coughing oh and God. just like you couldn't really like sit yeah. in the work. It was just, right. it was this very, it was freaky. And I remember like, you know, for at least the last three or four shows, like we literally were waiting by our phones all day before the performance because we were, we were expecting them to say, you know, don't come in tonight. Yep. Um, and like, even during the performances, we were trying not to, but like every time we come off stage, we'd be checking our phones. Cause like we literally, we didn't know if we were going to get shut down mid-performance. Like we, you know, we were just really living beat to beat for for those those few performances. And then, of course, like the day came when it was. It was like I think they were they were having an understudy rehearsal, and we were we were texting in the group chat just all the things that were popping up on the news. And someone someone literally saw the announcement because it, you know, as you know, the announcement came out of the news before we heard from yep. or anybody. So literally like we knew that the show was shut down before the stage manager knew or before the producers even knew and so like we had to tell the stage manager it was it was crazy i know well on a more positive note <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> going down the rabbit hole though. i know but i mean it's like honestly therapeutic to talk to about it with somebody who was in the same boat right. but talk a little bit about just who you were growing up in benicia am i saying that right yeah benicia benicia california and I read in an interview that I know you didn't consider yourself a big theater kid. So can you talk about what you were doing instead? Yeah, so um, yeah, Benicia is a tiny little town in Northern California, the East Bay area. It's about like an hour outside of San Francisco. Um, and you know, it was, it was a cool place to grow up. It was like, you know, more or less safe and like wasn't a lot to do. We spent a lot of our time in the, in the like next town over Vallejo because that's where everything was. Um, for the most part. But I started pretty young. I think when I was about five in kindergarten, um, this woman named Annabelle uh, came to our our kindergarten class and basically was looking for kids to join her children's choir, uh, which was called Bowena. Um, and basically she like said she thought I had something. I had a really good pitch. And so she auditioned me. I think I sang happy birthday and I got in. So like at five years old, I was singing in this children's choir. I didn't know any of the words because most of them weren't in English. And I was just kind of like mouthing along, but I liked being up there. 
Um, and I think like little by little, when I was like six or seven, I think I started, I tried to start taking classes, like um, acting classes through this, like this company in the Bay Area. And the first time I went in and auditioned, they said that I was too shy and they didn't think that I really like was cut out for <laughs> performing. So um, that was kind of like a bummer, but my parents were always so supportive. And I think a year later I went to them and I said, you know, I think I'm ready now. And I went in and I put on my little suit uh, and I went in and I basically just like, you know, knocked him out of the water and and so I started taking classes when I was like seven and basically like all throughout the rest of elementary school and middle school and high school I was into acting like I was doing independent films and commercials and like extra work on movies and some like community theater things here and there but I wasn't really like I wasn't really doing the school plays um I like I didn't do a school play until I was a senior in high school actually, but I was on the varsity improv team um, all four years of high school. So in that regard, I was kind of a theater theater kid, but I just never really knew much about shows. Like I, you know, I didn't know the classics. I wasn't doing the shows on a regular basis. I was on the basketball team as well as the varsity team. Um, and I was also making music. I had two hip hop groups that I was the sound engineer for, as well as a rapper and a singer. So like, I was, I was always involved in like the arts. I just wasn't really the stereotypical theater kid, you know, and like even to this day, you know, I, I just don't, I'm, my knowledge base of theater is unimpressive. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of, you know, that was, I think what it was like coming up. And then it wasn't until after high school um, that I really, I moved to LA because I met this casting director who took me down and got me signed up for my first, you know, big manager and agent. And, that's when I really, I think, it became my my profession, like my career, you know. And that was after high school? That was after high school, yeah. So, I mean, talk a little bit about, um, I know you mentioned like your unorthodox sort of training and like where you studied in college, but where did you go and, and what were you doing? Yeah, so I, yeah, I did not go the conservatory route. I didn't, I didn't go that, you know, that typical route, but I was... You know, again, my mom, my mom always laughs when she hears my interviews because she's like, you, you, don't, you don't tell the whole story about when you were younger. You were auditioning all the time and like it was already a profession. It was already a career. And I think that is true to a point because like by the time I, I got to L.A., yes, it was my first like big time manager and agent. But I had like I had gone on hundreds of auditions probably at that point for, you know, whatever I could find in the Bay Area, which was not a lot. But it was something and they were driving me to L.A. and all that. So. I had been kind of learning as I went, you know, even when I was younger. And so I think when I went to LA, that kind of continued. And I did train a lot with, like, I had a private coach in um, in the Bay Area. Her name was Bettina Devin. And I worked with her on voice and, and acting. So, like, I had been training, in addition to the classes I talked about, since I was really young. Um, and so I think that was kind of what my, my entire journey looked like and what it still looks like to this day. It's like I never really did the formal, you know, conservatory college route, but I've been training with, you know, private coaches and been doing like, you know, outside classes and scene study classes and just kind of like learning from on the job experience, you know, doing these films and, and working with all these great directors and stuff on stage. And so that's kind of been what my training has, has looked like. It's been a lot of like, you know, life has been my training and just learning as I've been going, you know, so um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting contrast to what I know a lot of my friends did, which was the conservatory route. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's a lot 
there's a lot of benefits that come from not sort of studying it or, or some people find that the conservatory training actually can sort of quash um, creativity in, in people that they might not even know existed. What do you personally find was like the benefit for you? Yeah, I think, I think it depends very much on which conservatory you go to. And also, you know, if you don't do that, which, which teachers you, you have, I mean, I think it all boils down to which teachers you have, but I, I have always felt that the main difference is that when you do a conservatory program, generally they don't really allow you to work outside of, of school, you know, so you're kind of in this bubble and you're learning and it's really concentrated and, and that's all fantastic. And then you come out of it with all of these, you know, these um, hopefully these connections and stuff that will help you in the industry. What I found with, you know, with my route was that I was working all the way along. And so I felt like I was having kind of practical um, experience alongside my training. And I think at the end of the day, it's really just apples and oranges. Like, I don't think one is better than the other, that one is right and one is wrong. Um, I think for me, that just made the most sense. Um, but, you know, in the same way that some people come out of conservatory and they kind of have to unlearn bad habits, um, I also picked up a lot of bad habits because I was, I was working, I was constantly auditioning and I think as I was learning like technique and things like that, I was also within the frame of trying to please casting directors or trying to, you know, and so I think I picked up a lot of habits of like seeking external validation and trying to get it right. And, you know, all of these things and focusing more on like the outcome than the process. And so I think there was, there was a positive and negative to, you know, to not doing the conservatory route, just as I feel like there's positives and negatives to, to doing that, the conservatory route. So yeah, was an oranges. I completely agree. Um, so post-college then, I mean, I know that you were already auditioning a lot, but sort of what was the difference between like after graduation, what did pounding the pavement look like for you? Like, how were you advocating for yourself? So graduation ain't happened yet. <laughs> so oh, amazing. I'm actually, I'm actually still technically in college. Um, I, so about, I, I moved, so I, I did San Francisco State the, my first year after high school. And there I was just kind of working on my general education. I didn't really have a degree. Um, so I did a thing, I think I did two semesters there before I moved to LA. And then I moved to LA, I joined LA City College. Again, I was still just kind of working on general education stuff. And then I finally transferred to Cal State Northridge with when I, where I picked up a degree basically in interdisciplinary studies with like an emphasis on literature and creative writing. So, um, but when I started doing that, I also started traveling for work. I started like I went to, you know, Sofia Bulgaria to shoot a TV movie and I was traveling to do, um, you know, I, I did a show off Broadway in New York while I was living in LA and, I, you know, I was just starting to work more um, and travel because of that. And so I started all my classes online and I've actually been doing that ever since. Um, but I take off, you know, a semester or two anytime I book a big job and I just can't really balance the two of them. So, you know, it's been, it's been slow going. And I still have about two semesters worth of, of classes left to be, uh, to be graduated. And I'm going to be doing some college courses this summer because I finally have time. Yeah. Um, but to go back to your, your original question of like what auditioning looked like, um, I lived in LA for about two and a half years, I think. And a lot of that time was just kind of like learning how to navigate the next level up. Like, you know, again, I had been within the business when I was younger, but when I moved to LA, it was just a, 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 the next level up. And I was learning how to talk to my agents and learning like 
what my manager, like what, what, what I felt a good manager should be doing for me. And I was getting in arguments with my agents because, you know, I didn't think I was going out for the right stuff and they were disagreeing with the projects I was choosing. And so it was a lot of me just kind of like learning how to stand up for myself and um, learning like, you know, what kind of projects I wanted to go in for and also just navigating the LA film scene, which is vastly different than the New York film scene, which I learned once I moved there. But um, yeah, I was basically doing that. I was doing independent films, commercials, and you know, whatever like developmental theater that I could do, you know, along the way. And one of those theater jobs became my off-Broadway debut, which was a show called One Day. Uh, but that started in, in LA. And that's actually what took me to New York and why I moved there. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I was, I joke with everybody that I interviewed. I do an intense amount of like detective work, but I yeah. didn't <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, it was a funny, it was a cool little production that had like a cool little fan following. Um, but it was, it was, it was very far from Broadway physically, mm. yet it was still listed as off Broadway, not off off Broadway. So it was this interesting thing that like not a lot of people heard about yeah. but people who did hear about it, like loved it. And, you know, it had a fun little run, but yeah, I moved there with that show. And while I was in that show, I actually booked um, the developmental lab of a new Jerry Mitchell show. Uh, which was called Gotta Dance. And, you know, Jerry Mitchell directed and choreographed Kinky Boots and Ligby Blonde and all that good stuff. Um, and so it was really that, I think that next job is why I decided to stay in New York. Cause I was like, oh, you know what? I feel like doors are opening here. There's more musical theater and that seems to be a, a niche for me right now. So I kind of just followed and walked through that door and have been here ever since. And you learned, I believe, from the best on that job with the great Andre DeShields. Oh my God. Andre DeShields, Lilius White, Georgia Engel, like the list goes on and on and on. Lori Tanshin, like I worked with legends in that show. Yeah. And I was with it for, I don't know, what, a year, a year and a half? Because then I, I did that lab and I think I did one more workshop and then we took it for its out-of-town premiere in Chicago and I was with it for that too. So I got to spend a good amount of time with, with all of them. And, my God, yeah, learned. I, I can't even imagine how much fun it was. So much fun. Yeah. Um, well, I want to talk about something else that was probably a lot of fun. Um, and my question is sort of, obviously, you're not a stranger to Lin-Manuel's work. Right. Um, I can't help but think that your work in In the Heights that you did sort of laid the foundation for what was coming for you. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about what you learned as Benny or maybe Lin's style and how it prepared you for Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lynn is a revolutionary. I think we all know that. <laughs> and the whole concept of theatrical rapping is basically his, his brainchild. Like, you know, putting, putting rap into musical theater is just genius, but, you know, had never really been done before to that degree. And so um, I think I learned a lot just about how to, how to do that. I mean, I actually just like, I just did a workshop yesterday where I was basically like talking to people about theatrical rapping and how it's different than, you know, regular musical theater performances and, and stuff like that. But I think learning how to like put dialogue into that kind of rhythmic, you know, fast paced, um, that, you know, style while still maintaining the intention and, you know, get my diction right so that you can understand all the words like, I think had I not had that, Hamilton would have been 10 times harder. Um, so I definitely learned a lot from that. And I think, you know, also, yeah, just understanding the kinds of stories that Lynn likes to tell and the way that he likes to tell them, um, you know, as, as different on the surface as 
in the Heights can seem from, from Hamilton is there's, there's some through lines, you know, stories about, you know, community and identity and, and, um, you know, changing, you know, changing your circumstances and all of that, um, is, is runs through both. So, yeah, I think that definitely was a great setup for, for Hamilton. That, yeah, I didn't even think about it in that way. When you think, try to link the two sort of stories. I mean, I remember I was a, junior I think a junior in high school when in the heights did their Tony performance mm-hmm. um and I just remember I couldn't focus on any of my finals or studying because I was just listening to 96,000 over and over right. <laughs> and then I remember very distinctly when he premiered the Hamilton mixtape for the Obamas on that like yes. YouTube video I remember that and sort of like Alex Lackmore like laughing right. at me. I remember <laughs> it like so vividly so the fact that it has come to what it is today is this sort of I mean it makes sense but it's sort of uh inspiring but it it makes sense and it doesn't right because it's like as as Davi Diggs and so many will tell you anyone who like heard the music right when he was first talking about it or he he just pitched the idea to everyone was like you want to do a hip-hop musical about the founding fathers and Alexander Hamilton who most people don't know anything about like in a lot of ways that shouldn't have worked. You know what I'm saying? But like it did because, you know, and, and like Lynn absolutely is a genius, but like we call them the cabinet, which is it's it, Hamilton and in the Heights are, is a brainchild of Lynn, Alex Lacamoire, Tommy Kale, Andy Blank and Bueller, like the four of them, especially together, like they all deserve credit for that yeah. incredible, incredible thing. And, and, it's it's really their their sheer genius and power of will is what what made it work I believe you know um, and has made it what it, what it is and I'm in all of them for sure. Let's let's talk about the cabinet. I read about your Hamilton audition online. Mm-hmm. And the quote I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong said quote not yet but we like him end quote and so I'm wondering like you and I both you receive that feedback you call your agent you call your manager what do you do with that like. So, I mean, I, I actually had three rounds of auditions for Hamilton. The first round was just a, a, a self-tape where I was singing Dear Theodosia with a bundle of um, clothes in my arm pretending it was a baby. So that one, I didn't get any feedback from. <laughs> so the first time I auditioned, I actually thought it was just like dead in the water, like I wasn't anywhere close. But it was, it was like a year later after I had moved to New York when I, when I started the round of auditions that you're talking about. And yeah, I mean, I think I had, I don't know, six callbacks, something like that. The number always changes. <laughs> six, six, seven, eight. I don't remember how many it was. But um, it was crazy because I was auditioning for like five different roles at once. Like every role basically except for Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Um, so I was, you know, I had like this huge stack of songs to learn. Like, you know, 15 songs for, for La- I mean, for um, Lafayette Jefferson and, and George Washington and Lawrence Phillip and Mulligan Madison. So my my brain was definitely being pulled in many different directions throughout that whole process. And I think it was really just a matter of like, they were just trying to see where I fit, you know, they're trying to see which one I resonated with, with most, if any. And, um, you know, the auditions were very interesting. The callbacks were interesting because like Lynn was there for a lot of them and, you know, Alex and Tommy Kale and the producers were there. So it was just a lot of like them giving me adjustments and seeing like how I could, you know, how I could sit with it or how I could, um, deep in it and I think at the end of that it was just this I remember walking out of my last call back there and they just kind of they just looked at me and they were like hmm okay <laughs> you know and like I walked out and, and I and I think you know I got the call pretty soon after which was 
what you said, which is like, we like him a lot. We just can't quite see him in any of these roles right now. Um, and I could see that in their eyes as I walked out. As it was just, they were like, they were like, we want to find a place for you, but we haven't found it yet. Um, and so I, in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe something will come of this someday, but I'm just going to kind of move on, try and let it go. Like if nothing else, it was an incredible experience to get to, you know, audition for them. And I was, I was coming back like six, six months later, seven months later, I was coming back from an out of town um, tryout of another new show called Hood in, in Dallas, at Dallas Theater Center. And they called me in for Alexander Hamilton for the first time. And my agent was like, I don't know if this is really a good fit. I've always saw you as maybe more of a burr, but you know, they want to try it out. So of course, you know, let's do it. And I think from, from the get go, I started, you know, I was working with like my acting coach on the material and I was just surprised to find my way in so quickly. I was like, Oh wait, I actually do know this guy. Like I, I, I do resonate with, with him. And I, I didn't think that I, that I would have, but my Hamilton just kind of started materializing as something completely different from Lynn's or like Royer's or anyone else, you know, that has, that has done it. And luckily for me, they were very um, encouraging of that. Like they wanted it to be different and they were, you know, they were um, excited by that and encouraging of that. So yeah, two or three callbacks of that working with, you know, Alex and Tommy and them and, and I got it. And I think you said something about like he was like rapping with you in the final audition or like. Well, so that was, that was actually the, the, the one that ended with, we can't quite find, you know, <laughs> a spot where we like him. That's when Lynn was, was rapping with me. I think I was doing guns and ships or something like that. And just like, you know, he, he got super hyped and he got about his chair and he was rapping with me. And like, it was just the coolest thing. You know, Lynn was just like, and every time, almost every time I've seen him since, except for like one time when I saw him in a suit, he usually just like shows up places in like sweatpants and his hair in a ponytail. And like, he's just a super chill, chill dude, super nice. Um, and that's how he was in the audition. It was just like sweatpants, hoodie on, just like rapping with me. Um, and it was, yeah, that was so cool. But yeah, Lynn wasn't really, I don't think he was there for any of my, my callbacks. Because um, I think he was in London at the time, helping them build uh, the London premiere of the, of the show. So they were like filming it and sending to sending it to him but yeah wow well i mean once you got the part i mean a lot can happen pretty quickly when you're replacing in an already running show um can you talk about how you found the most effective way to rehearse i mean maybe both in the studio and then at home on your own yeah i mean it was it was just a lot of material like i had never had so much material to absorb and to you know to, to work on um not only just like the density of, of the material, you know, which is for any character, but Alexander Hamilton leaves the stage for like a grand total of 10 minutes, maybe for the entire show. So he has so much to blocking and, 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 you know, language and rapping and all that dialogue. Um, and so, yeah, I think the first thing we did was, um, I learned, I learned all the music. Like I just had like an intensive of like a week, I think where I, where I worked with one of the associates and we just like, we just drilled the music and just started, you know, sculpting it and finding, you know, where, which the intention behind things and which words needed to get the more mileage and, and um, you know, the, uh, the cadences of everything and just learning all of that. And so once I had that kind of groundwork, then we just, then we jumped into uh, to staging and I was doing all my initial rehearsals with the Broadway company, even though I was actually going to replace in the national tour. I did, I did Broadway a year later, but I first started out on the national tour. Um, and 
yeah, so I was working with the Broadway company. We had, we had like a secret little um, rehearsal space in New York um, that we're all like signed to secrecy to not tell where it is, but it's like this secret space where, you know, we have like the props and the, the layout of the stage and everything. So I was working there and the stage and just kind of like, you know, wherever I could. Um, but, but in general, it was just like I would go and I'd show up for, you know, six hour rehearsal or whatever. And then I just go home and I just process. I just like, you know, just try and like marinate and, and let it all sink in because um, when you're, when you're up there, the train's just going and it's gotta be like so deep in you that it just comes out. So I think that's, that's kind of what that whole process was for me was just like ab absorption and then marination and then just like repetition, repetition, repetition. Uh, just to get it get it into my my body well i mean especially in a, in a high pressure environment or situation yeah. like that there's a lot riding on that like you said and that train is is speeding yeah and so i'm wondering like do you have maybe there was a moment that was in hamilton for you maybe it it changed throughout time but like was there a moment that you felt like anchored you like you felt yourself fully present and like mm. in um yeah i mean it definitely I think it changed from night to night in that sometimes there was more than one moment, but I think the one moment that was consistent was Dear Theodosia, for sure, because um, within like the, the arc of kind of the character that, that I created, that we created, you know, up until that point, Hamilton is very like, you know, go, 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 like balls of his feet, has something to prove, like always trying to, you know, be ahead of everyone and, and, Dear Theodosia happens right after, you know, the Battle of Yorktown, which is like this, this first moment when Hamilton like actually kind of wins, you know, he like, he, he, he kind of gets to say, oh, I, I did this. And it doesn't last long because immediately like, okay, well, what comes next? But I think right after Battle of Yorktown, you go into this, this moment, which is really the only like really still quiet moment for him, except for maybe quiet of town where it's just him and his son, you know, and He's not, he's not rapping, he's singing, you know, and, and he's just like, he's just there looking at his son saying like, this, this is what it's all for. Like, this is what I'm doing all this for. This is my legacy. This is, you know, everything. And so it's just, it's just a breath where, um, it's, it's a breath for a character that does not have many breaths. Um, and so I think that was definitely a, a, a moment in the show that I looked forward to and that kind of just felt like, a moment when I could settle and I, it was like a turning of the page, like a chapter marker where it's like, okay, there's before Dear Theodosia and then there's after. Yeah, I mean, that completely makes sense for me. I think it's so interesting. Like I sometimes have to, it's so amazing how we talk about sort of the things where like you have to remind yourself to like of the bare minimum or like the basics, like just like literally make sure you're taking a breath or just right. <laughs> something like that like the easiest sort of thing that you should just intuitively know but like especially in that show i imagine it's so important to just like <sighs> yeah sit exactly just reset a little bit yeah um and i mean i guess in a similar vein i'm wondering is it maybe this is the same answer for you but was there a moment that you look forward to the most i often find that there's like something that i'm like reaching for every night that like yeah um that, I think that's probably the one that changed the most, you know, from, from night to night. I think sometimes it was, you know, I think, I think oftentimes it was like quiet uptown because I think that's another major, major shift. And, you know, in, any, in many ways, it's also the, 
it's the other side of the coin that that you know if if dear theodosia is one side of the coin quiet of town is the other you know because that's when he loses his son and and i think it's another huge moment of realization slash like it's a moment of culmination for him where he just kind of like you know he, it's it's the first moment in the show where where he's kind of at a loss for words and he's using other people's words to kind of get his point across for the first time, you know, like that would, that would be enough. And, you know, look at where we are, look at where we started. Like those aren't his words. And it's because he doesn't have any. And I think I looked forward to that moment because like, no matter how the show was going, like that moment was determined by how the show had gone up to that point, you know? So it's like some nights I would be, crying. Other nights I would just be numb. Some nights I would be, you know, um, pleading with Eliza. Other nights I would just be like resigned, like, you, why would you take me back? Like, there just, there was so many different ways kind of that that scene could go. And it was just a culmination of however the show had gone up to that point. So I think I, I looked forward to that moment for that reason. Um, you know, just because it was like this, this turning point, this culmination point, um, where I could kind of use everything that I had built up to that point. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's late in the game, too, yeah. but that's, <laughs> I know, but it's, it's nice to have something that you, you know, you sort of work for all night, so I, I love that, and I love that song, obviously, but um, I want to transition to um, Girl from the North Country, which I'm so disappointed I didn't get to see you in, and I'm hopeful that I'm going to when this is all done, but did you see it at the public? I didn't know. So I, I, yeah, I went in pretty, pretty blind. Um, I auditioned for it, obviously, while I was still in Hamilton. And, um, yeah, I, I knew roughly about the show. Like I had, I had, I had heard of it because um, obviously I had a pretty, you know, a pretty popular run at, at the public. But yeah, I really didn't know much about, much about it. Um, but as I, you know, when I got the material and I started preparing for it, like, again, it was kind of a similar thing to Hamilton where I was like, oh, I, I, I get this guy, you know, I, I, I feel comfortable and like, you know, I feel like I have a way in. Um, and that audition process went pretty fast. Like, I think there was just maybe the audition and one call back and I went to, you know, both of them were like right before a matinee on one Saturday and then maybe the next Sunday I had the call back, I don't know. And, um, and I got it. And so that was, it was a very kind of like quick, like, oh, wow, okay. I, I have this, this awesome role in this awesome show. And like, I, now I have to decide like, you know, is it time for me to leave Hamilton for a while and go pursue something else? And you know, that was a big decision that I had to make, but you know, ultimately, yeah, I was really excited by, by the show and by the character. And, um, you know, I've been Hamilton for two years, so I was ready to just kind of try something new for a while. Well, I mean, Connor McPherson's script is is so compelling. I mean, it feels yeah. like it, it could stand alone as its own play yeah. without any of the music. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about who Joe Scott uh, is and maybe what sort of similarities you share. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Connor McPherson is a genius, and he actually, you know, he this is his first play with music or musical. Um, you know, he is really known as a playwright. So I think for that reason, the characters and the and the, the scene work and all that is so deep. You know. Um, and it's just kind of supported by Dylan's incredible music, which is just amazing. Um, but Joe Scott, the whole show is kind of, there's this sense of mystery throughout the whole show, you know, and it's like, they, there's a lot of questions 
that never get answered, you know, and that's kind of the point. It's like the questions are more important than the answers. And so I think for Joe Scott, that was as an actor, something that was really interesting about him is he's, you know, he's this guy who you really don't know much about and you're never really told that much about either. He's, you know, you know that he's like, he was a boxer and then he got, you know, sent to jail for, you know, a, a number of years for, a crime that you know he says he didn't commit and you know he says he's been living homeless but you don't really know what what's true and what's not you know he says things but there's no real way to back them up and so as an actor i kind of got to decide and i'm, and I'm not going to say you know what i decided but i got to i got to decide what was true and what was not and, and um i think that was really that was really exciting and you know something that I can relate to with him is I think he's, you know, he's this guy who just wants to be seen for who he truly is. He, he believes people don't really like see him for, you know, for, for who he is. And, you know, um, I think as, you know, as a six foot four black guy, like that's something that I can relate to as well. Cause I think, you know, always having to, when, you know, when I walk through an, an all white neighborhood, I always have to think about like, okay, are they, are they, do I, do I come off as like safe? Do I, you know, are they, are they worried about me? Can they even tell that I'm black? Cause I'm so light skinned. Like all of these things go through my mind. And I think that was, that was something that I could immediately connect with him. Cause he just feels like he's constantly being like judged because he, you know, looks scary and he, you know, has been living homeless and, and all of this. And, but at the core, he's just, a, he's a nice guy. He's a great guy that just wants to be you know, seen and given, given a chance. And I think that that was something really fun to get to dig into with him. Um, so yeah, I really, you know, I really got close to him and I'm, I'm, I miss him a lot, not getting to, getting to play him. I can completely understand that. Um, I want to know if you can just speak a little bit about the rehearsal process. I mean, many actors were reprising their roles from the off-Broadway production. I'm wondering just how was the room set up to welcome the new additions? I mean, they were absurdly welcoming. <laughs> um, if I put it into one sentence, I think going into it, I, I expected possibly that that it was going to be, you know, them kind of just trying to like fold me into something that already was, you know, or like, you know, help me do the role as, you know, the guy played it off Broadway. And I, I immediately realized that you know, Connor, especially, it all started with Connor. He was not interested in remounting something that he had already done. Like he wanted us all, even those two of us who had did it before, to just kind of revitalize it and like make changes and like, you know, find where it, where it is now with us, not where it was. And so it, it really did feel like we were making something new, you know, from the ground up, um, even though people had done it before. And I, I feel like I was given so much freedom to really you know, find my own character and really originate the character, you know, in, in my own way. And I was very, very grateful for that. And everyone was just so welcoming, so encouraging. And, and you know, like I said, I was given so much rope um, to explore. And yeah, really, it was a family really, really fast. And they, they, they welcomed me um, from day one. Well, I mean, what was so moving for me about seeing it at the public? And I, I was like, completely moved by that show um was just the fact that like you would be in the middle of watching the the scene work and it felt like you were fly on the wall of this very these very personal moments for people and then out of nowhere like I was so obsessed sort of with like the sound design of it and like it would come in so loudly and like you would just sort of like 
feel it like in your chest, like it like vibrates you. And it was this sort of like richly textured and orchestrated piece. And like some of the musicians play it on stage and, and it was just so stunning. And I'm wondering sort of like what that feeling on stage feels like, if you could sort of describe like allowing that music to wash over you and how that fuels the storytelling. Yeah. Um... You know, it's it, being in this show more than maybe any other that I've done, it's, it feels very much that like we are up there doing this thing that's almost self-contained and we're kind of opening the door or like a window to the audience and we're saying like, come on in and join us. Like we're doing this thing no matter what. And like, you know, whereas some other shows can just feel a little more presentational as if, you know, we're doing it for the audience. And so I think for that reason, it's like, when we, you know, when I, when I started that show and we were up there doing it together, it's like, it just felt so alive and so vibrant because we were truly just like feeding off of each other and whatever, you know, someone did like just kind of changed the whole trajectory of, you know, of where the thing was going. And then, yeah, you had this, this incredible music which came in and just like, it blended so seamlessly with like the emotions of the piece, you know, um, that it just kind of, you kind of, you kind of, forgot when you were just talking and when you were singing and you know when you were um telling like a, a a linear story and when you were just kind of speaking on emotion you know it just like it all just blended together into this beautiful like um really rich landscape that we just got to live in you know and and um yeah i just when i think back on it i just think of like vibrancy and like depth and the audience was absolutely a part of it and and at the same time you know we we were just we did it for us you know and like the audience like was was there to to see that happening and so that's just that was a really beautiful experience you know that i hadn't really gotten up to that point yeah it's it, it, there's something about it that just feels it's very still but there's something about it there's this undercurrent of urgency like everything is very like and there's so much mystery, not even just involving your own character, but like there's so much mystery surrounding all the other characters all sort of living together and working together. It's it's extraordinary. And I'm so sad that like more people haven't been able to see it at this moment, but I'm I'm so hopeful that when this all ends, because I, I love it. But um I'm wondering if you would if you would read a little bit of something from the show that um Yeah. Um yeah, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll, I think I have it from memory. I'll read. Oh, sure. It's kind of Joe's last, um, kind of his last plea with, with Marion, who is, you know, the, the, the daughter of the people who own this house. And, you know, he's gotten to know her over the course of, you know, the play, which is, you know, of course, like a week, a few weeks. And um, she basically, like, confronts him and, and, and accuses him of being one of these two men who escaped from from prison and um yeah i won't i won't get too much more into into giving away that but um so he says maybe i never killed nobody but i maybe i never been no saint but i never killed no one neither and if i'm walking the streets right now when some judge says i gotta rot my life away in some rat hole well maybe he's wrong you think i was the only nigga in the joint serving somebody else's stretch if you look me in my eyes and you don't believe me, that's all right, I'll go. But if you can see me, I'm saying if you can see me. And the reason I love that, that and why, why I chose that is because it's kind of this, 
as an actor, it was this really interesting, this really interesting section or this really interesting moment where it could go in so many different different directions, you know. And I, I think kind of like like what I was talking about with Quiet Uptown in in um, in um, Hamilton, that that moment was kind of a culmination of of everything that was built up to that point, right? So, you know, some nights I I would just I would just be screaming that, you know, and I would just be so upset and I'd just be like angry at the world. And, and in other nights, it was just kind of this like, I'm just so tired, you know, I, I've been doing this for, for so long and no one will see me and I'm just asking you to see me. Um, and I think I loved, I loved just like the fluidity of that. And like, you know, sometimes the last couple lines of, you know, but if you can see me, I'm saying if you can see me, you know, sometimes that was like, I could, you know, sometimes I wanted to play the positive there and I was like, oh, but imagine like what we could be if you could see me. And other times it was like, you know, I'm, again, I'm just so tired, like just, just somebody see me, anybody see me. Um, and it was just, it's just such a, such a rich, and a lot of it is, you know, thanks to Connor's incredible writing. It's just such a rich um, moment that, that can be so fluid, you know, I, I think I, I kind of, I set up the, the perimeters of like what I could feel in that moment and then just try to allow myself to, you know, on a given night feel whatever, whatever I, whatever I did. But it's a very, I think it's, it's a very deep moment just speaking to like his motivation of like, just wanting to be seen and just, you know, just, just because someone else says something about him doesn't mean that it's true, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I love that piece. Um, I don't know if you can tell, I mean, I was so moved by you just doing that and I'm so, grateful that you shared that um it's been so fulfilling sort of hearing people you know breathe life to these words i have you probably can't even see but i have so many sort of like like buried on my shelf and it's i've been doing a lot of reading and sort of you know opening up plays that either i've known really well or plays i don't i've never read before and um it's so moving hearing them brought to life in some way. And, and thank you for setting it up and explaining it like that. That was really beautiful. But- um, Thanks for giving me the opportunity because even even just, you know, reading it, it's like, it's nice to- Drop just, back in. <laughs> yeah, just to, you know, get to sit, sit with him for a little bit again. I yeah. Well, I mean, the last one that I want to sort of touch on is just, um, I want to talk about Pose for a second. I, oh, I yeah. to not usually talk about like film and television on here. It's like right. strictly a theater pod, but- um, I mean, this is huge and I have mad respect and love for the beautiful MJ Rodriguez. And I want to kind of talk about your audition process and, and chemistry with MJ and, and how that came to be. Yeah. So, so funny enough, I actually, I knew MJ in passing before, before yeah. the show. Um, I had met her because she was a good friend of my friend Ari Gruber, who did a show with her out in Boston like a year, two years ago, three years ago, I'm not sure, a while ago. So, so I had met her and hung out with her a little bit, a bit then. So when I, um, when I started seeing her, you know, obviously on the show, I was really, you know, excited for her. And then yeah. when, I, when I got the audition, I was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be so crazy if, you know, I got to, we got to, we got to work together. Um, and it was a pretty quick process, like one audition. Um, that's all it was. I didn't, I didn't have a callback. I just kind of filmed it. And, you know, again, I think it was one of those moments where I just, you know, I kind of felt connected to the character and I just like had fun in the audition and I wasn't super nervous and just flowed and um and this was in person this was not a tape no this was in person yeah so I went I went in and the casting director taped it you know for everyone else but um yeah so I I, I got that and it was a little bit crazy because it, it was I was in Hamilton at the time and 
they were shooting right when my, I get one week of vacation for the entire year and it was shooting in that week. <laughs> so there was a little bit of like tricky work trying to like see, oh, is there any way we could, you know, I had like three days of shooting, you know, and I was like, could we maybe shift it around so that I, you know, I didn't, da, da, da. so that took a while, but we, we finally worked it out. And I think I moved my vacation around and they moved one a day around and whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I got on set and just a really, really just like loving down to earth, just like warm set, you know, everyone's just like super chill and excited to be a part of this, you know, this, this thing that's really, really groundbreaking. I mean, in some ways, you know, I think Pose did, you know, for, for television, what, you know, Hamilton and like Lynn's work kind of did for, for theater in a lot of ways is like, you know, we haven't seen a, a, a cast with, you know, this many trans actors before. Um, and they talk about really, really incredible, you know, incredible things. And so I was really excited to be there. You could feel that everyone else was as well. I um, was excited to be working on it. And yeah, MJ and I just like, we had great chemistry. We, you know, we, we um, when we started doing, doing the scenes together, there was just like this fun, you know, like energy that we could, that we could play with, maybe partly because we knew each other, but also just because, you know, sometimes you just luck out like that and you, you know, get scene partners with whom you have really great chemistry. And so, yeah, I had a really, really great time working with 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 all of them, um, and I think it's a really cool show. Well, we're we're at the last question, which I'm always sad about, but um, everybody answers this. Um, it's just become a little tradition now to end with a love note from you to the theater. Um, and the question is, uh, what makes you keep coming back, and why does it continue to ignite your soul? Mm. Oh man, I think there's something about live theater that you just, nothing else compares to, you know, I think we, I think we as human beings and, and our culture thrives on storytelling. I think that's one of the most important things that we, that we have. And so I think even back like, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we sat around the fire and we told stories and we listened to stories. And like, I think that the modern theater is just the continuation of that, you know, and I think getting to be a storyteller just gives my life so much purpose, you know, just knowing that I'm like, I'm, I'm gi giving these stories and that these stories are helping people like highlight things about themselves or look at their own lives or, or work through things and, and things like that. And, and similarly, I think that's why I love watching theater as well as, you know, I, I go and a really good piece of theater moves me and like kind of holds up a mirror and, and says like, you know, take a look at, take a look at your own life, take a look at your own relationships and your own, you know, self. And, you know, I think I always come out of a live theater show just feeling really, really moved and changed and introspective. And um, I think that's so, so powerful. And so for me, that that's why that's why I love theater. That's why I go and keep coming back to theater. And that's also why I love performing it. Amen. Amen. Well, you're a, a true gentleman, and uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Likewise, chatting with you today, and I thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I mean, they can't see you wave, but I was going to say wave goodbye. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm waving. I'm waving very hard right now.